Welcome, listeners, to the triumphant rebirth of our celebrated Beltway Insider Series. I'm Chris Wade, a.k.a. Lil Smoot Holly, here with Matt Chrisman, a.k.a. Taft Hartley, a.k.a. The Big Magician. What's up, Matt? Hey, happy to be back. Very excited. And just as we're getting started here, because there's been some controversy on the subject that's never been officially addressed on the show, I would just like to say regarding one of the previous hosts of this ongoing series... He was unfortunately eaten by an alligator in the Louisiana Bayou while on assignment reporting a now-canceled 12-part investigative podcast miniseries called Tough as Clay, The Clay Higgins Story. Oh, I repeat to everyone, mon ami. But it is a midterms year. So after Matt and Mize, I'll just call it magisterial recounting of the entirety of U.S. presidential history last year, we figured we'd team up again to give a deep-dive update into the current state of electoral politics here in America. This is the rebirth, the Beltway Phoenix. Hop on and fly away with us. Destination, the midterms of madness. Beltway Phoenix, rising from the earth. Beltway Phoenix, noted for his girth. Beltway Phoenix, going election mode. Beltway Phoenix, find out what the future holds. Beltway Phoenix. Of course, here on this program, we believe two things about electoral politics. First, that it's nothing but a cheap bobble offered by the bourgeois ruling class to distract the proletariat from the urgent need for revolutionary overthrow of the capitalist yoke. And two, polls, baby. Love me some polls. Love me data. Love me quantifiable voter demographic information. Simple as. But before we get into that, we have with us an expert in the field of voter psychology, voter physiognomy, voter phrenology, not a mere journalist, a simple slinger of articles, but a goddamn reporter. So put some respect on his name. It's friend of the show, Dave Weigel. What's up, Dave? Hey, hey, I'm, I'm Mr. Midterm. I walk around with a medallion that says 36% voter turnout on it. <laughs> Solid gold. So I'm, I'm ready to do this. I know way too much about midterms. It's been a minute since you've been on the show, Dave. And I do just want to say that I was incredibly impressed that you never for a minute stopped recording, all, reporting all through COVID on the ground through the 2020 election and now deep into midterm season. So this does raise the question. How many times have you had COVID now? I've had COVID no times, which is still incredible. Okay. So that means that it's either not real or (laughs) for some reason, the deep state gave you maybe without your knowledge, uh, the actual cure. Yeah. I don't like when stuff like that happens because there's a lot of conspiracy theories about, uh, big media outlets owned by wealthy people. And if it were (laughs) if word got out about the booster shots that we and only we get, it probably wouldn't be cool. Uh, but they, I don't. I have no idea. I really think uh, I'm, um, in addition to whatever else I do, really simple-minded about health and, and medicine. And my theory is if I just take zinc and vitamin C when I feel bad, I'll be okay. I don't know when I learned this. Just like a witch taught it to me when I was a teenager. That's all I do. And I, I have not been sick yet. And I have uh, sh- shaken so many hands. Remember that week when people were, were thinking, oh, we'll never shake hands again. So many hands. So many hands just mingling with mine, sweat on sweat flesh on flesh. I'm, I've been fine. And uh, don't read this as like a medical statement on anything. But yes, I've been going places. <laughs> and like, this is, we'll get into this, like the idea that there, the people who are saying, what, how are you still allowed to go out when there's a pandemic going on? Not many of those people right now, once you get off Twitter, everyone's doing things. Yeah. Okay. You hear that people throw away your horse paste, pick up your <laughs> zinc. That's how you do it. <laughs> I'm just imagining, uh, you know, the, your editors, you know, giving one of those, uh, automated needle injections to the neck as they push you out for the halo jump into a uh, diner in suburban Topeka. There was a uh, whole period. Oh, sorry. There's a whole period where the only way you could get into the office was to get PPE if you were going on a trip. So I remember going and picking up some masks and some 
sanitizer on the way to Tulsa where Trump had that rally that like half half that killed Herman Cain. That's right. I was I was guess I was there for that. Uh, But yeah, people have mellowed and and still I would say Republicans are 100 percent back to normal have been forever. Democrats still I'll I'll call and say, hey, I'm going to come out. What should I see? And they'll say, well, we're doing a Zoom meeting. uh, uh, We're doing a Zoom debate. And and I, I don't judge them, but. Republicans are, are having more fun. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable saying that. Republicans are back doing things. Democrats still feel weird about doing things. Well, that is the basic pitch of the Republican Party now. Mm. Go wild. Have fun. But along those lines, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that we were, gonna, that we were all about polls here uh, on the Beltway Phoenix. Uh, and we will get into that. But what I wanted to get from you, Dave, right up top, and we're already into it a little bit, is the vibe. What is the vibe of the American voter right now? And to start off, I want to quote a tweet. Um, or an image from MSNBC that I saw pictured on Twitter from at Good Politics Guy, an MSNBC screenshot saying, in all caps, midterms issues for Democrats were, quote, censoring conservative voices on social media, quote, college campuses becoming liberal echo chambers, quote, the push to be politically correct, and quote, canceling historical figures. Are these the kitchen table issues on the road right now? Not all of that, really. This is one thing you get from going around the country is that do you meet people who are obsessed with stuff that maybe doesn't affect their material concerns, like obviously all the time. And that goes both ways. There's, you know, very wealthy people whose kids are going to private school who, who you know, love Ibram Kendi. And there's very wealthy, you know, uh, hot tub salesmen who are terrified of something being canceled that hasn't been canceled. That happens. But it, it has all been about, one, stuff costs more, two... The president's pretty old. I'm not sure that this is, I'm speaking the voice of the American voter. I'm not sure this old guy can handle it. It's basically like a theme of the election when I, when I boil down what I, what I, what I find, which is after, I'm to make the whole thing about Afghanistan. After Afghanistan, people looked at Biden and whether or not they agreed with what happened, uh, the decision to get out, most people agree with that. They thought, hmm, I'm not sure if this guy is uh, on the ball in a crisis. And that has just kind of run through everything. I, I don't understand the, the the living skeleton man who, who is trapped in a in a prison of nostalgia and fifty uh, year old memories who can't seem to indicate any uh, awareness of his surroundings at any given moment. He doesn't inspire confidence. Who is increasingly I I, taken is to uh, shaking hands with ghosts after speeches? Oh, I saw that video. I think he was doing the the the, the, the politician thing where you go like, oh, you're putting your hands out, but he mm. does. They don't. There's no one in the White House who says, uh, "Let's say I'm, I'm a big guy. I, if, if somebody's giving me a speech from me, I'd say, hey, don't have me wear a white bodysuit because uh, I wouldn't look as good as I might look in like a you know good clean cut." There's no one in the White House who's like, uh, "Hey, there are a lot of memes out there about the president being old and out of it. We should minimize uh, the the times when he looks old and out of it." That doesn't really happen because some of this is unfair, but they also just kind of let him roll. And I don't think letting him roll is the way is the way to go. Uh, with his, I mean, he's still like the whole dementia thing. Well, uh, I don't, uh, I've met people with dementia. I don't think he's one of them. I think he's an old guy, which is, which is a legit thing. We know lots of them. They, 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 they're not all uh, that they used to be. I feel like that, that shouldn't be that controversial of a take. Certainly it isn't here. What's so wild is how that his energy and his presence is matched by, at least according to what you read in the papers from people who get uh, inside sources, matched by uh, his administration, the lack of urgency, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what people around the the party 
like in the in the legislature and stuff keep saying right it's like they're yelling at these people at the white house about what's going on and how things are being perceived and they're just not doing anything which is the very opposite of the obungler era where they were like febrile fast twitch muscles going crazy like every news cycle they were there with something and they were just tacking to public opinion frantically all through those eight years whereas they seem to just have uh i don't know like that wiki how uh drawing except accept your death or you're looking out at you're looking at the plant <laughs> seems like that's everyone in the white house and democrats running for congress like the you get talking to them and, and you can tell, you can always tell when somebody's saying something because they'd rather say something else, but they can't. Uh, and that, that's, that's why I mentioned, mentioned Biden, but also when they talk about their agenda, not passing, they just can't keep saying it would be much easier if Joe Manchin let us pass this bill. So we could go back and say, remember that stuff we did, we did it. And they haven't. So uh, my, my, I'm a very, I'm very minimalist when I come to the midterms. I don't think it's bending that much based on one piece of news or another. I think you even see news cycles, right. That are, one poll shows Biden up a little. Is this going to help him? There's a Supreme Court nominee. Is this going to help him? I know it's just that they ran on a lot of stuff. And I think their base, Democratic base, the coalition they built, which is a very weird coalition, notices more if something doesn't happen. And I'm not trying to be demeaning to conservatives, but conservatives, when they're in power, demand a lot of stuff that pretty pretty easy to do. Like, hey, I put a commission together and we're going to uh, teach John Tremaine in school again instead of uh, <laughs> instead of how to be anti-racist. Like that didn't take, that was just Trump signed something with a pen. They're like, that's amazing. Whereas Democrats are like, hey, we were getting a, a great tax credit. Where is it? Democrats are like, you know what you should be worried about? January 6th. And I, I feel like that doesn't work. Just their, their, their voters need, <laughs> need when they're in power to have resources redistributed to them. That's why they voted for them. And when that doesn't happen, you know, th- things get crazy. Although it keeps happening, doesn't it? This is the third time in a row this has happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So on the Democratic voter side, I mean, we're seeing a lot in the last few weeks about the um, the just horrible portents of the collapsing Biden approval rating, even among, you know, among potential voters, among likely, likely voters on the Democratic side. Are you hearing a lot of people who, you know, would be traditional Democratic voters who their skepticism, their disappointment, their um, lack of feeling fulfilled by the Biden administration affecting being the number one um, principle that they're voting on this year? They're ac- actually more engaged than you'd think at when you lay it out like that, or even the way I was talking about it. Um, so one thing that happened, I mean, they, their electorate got more college-educated, more PMC, mm-hmm. uh, less white working class. Uh, a, a, a problem for them ha- has always been, oh gosh, our white working class voters, just uh, the ones we have left, don't vote in midterms if they're unhappy and, and, and we don't have anyone else to make it for it. They do now. They have... They have uh, well, I mean, the education gap is nuts. Go back and look at polling when Obama was running. There was no education mm-hmm. gap. It's like 30 points now. Those voters do vote. So you look at something like Virginia, where the last six, I mean, really the last two months of that campaign are garbage time where Democrats <laughs> can't do anything right. And they only lose by two and a half points. And that's a state where they they lost under Obama by 20. So and, and if you look at the map, it's like, well, all right, we're getting destroyed everywhere that has like a sheets uh, or uh, you know, <laughs> no, really, those kind of places everywhere where like a, the gas station, there's a good, there's a, where you can get a hoagie at the gas station where there's a memorial. There's something that got turned into an Instagram experience that used to employ people, all the, all the things that make up rural America worse than ever, but they still have those suburbs. And, and if you talk to Republicans, they're, they're like, well, that will mitigate some of these losses. Like we're not going to, you know, maybe we can't flip Portland anymore. Or, you know, Bush, <laughs> Bush could compete in some suburbs that we like were so hated because of Trump that we're not going to, but, and this is Republicans, but we don't need to. 
So I think the Democrats have more money and more excitement than they did other times when they've been in really bad shape. Uh, it's all relative. Like this time, 2010, boy, not, even though the president was more popular, just their voters did not care. <laughs> we're not going to show up and we're not giving money. Well, then I would like to turn to the flip side, which is the, uh, the vibe among the Republican voters. And I guess along the lines of what you were just saying, you know, I guess the conventional wisdom, especially if you're just, uh, you know, scrolling Twitter, is that, you know, the, the Democrats are going to get creamed in the midterms just based, again, as I was saying earlier, and you kind of put some nuance on of the Biden polling numbers. But is this going as well for the GOP as it might seem at first glance? One thing that I saw that I thought was interesting were the uh, results from recent elections in Wisconsin about school boards where a lot of these people running on real hardcore GOP school board censorship, anti-LGBT uh, shit, uh, did not quite go as well as they thought. Uh, this is from the Wisconsin Examiner. In Eau Claire, all three bo board candidates who ran on anti-LGBT platforms lost to the incumbents and their allies. Uh, the three conservative candidates stoked controversy about a teacher training program. They claimed excluded parents from uh, conversations about their child's gender and identity and sexual orientation. This became a cut topic on Fox News. They all lost similar results in, oh God, in Beloit, La Crosse, uh, even I think in uh, Green Bay. So are these issues that the GOP is trying to make a cornerstone, the things that I referenced from that MSNBC tweet earlier, uh, are they playing as well as they could be? Or the GOP wants them to? Uh, I'm glad you brought up Wisconsin because that has they have underperformed in some of those places where the trends are going their way. Their big their big coup in Wisconsin that day was there's there's a well one they won the Kenosha executive, which was you know, Kenosha. There has been a backlash to the riot there in 2020. They did they pulled that off and they won this judicial seat, which uh, it, it it's just drawn to be pretty Republican. So they won that. But you're right, it was pretty mixed. I I'd say if. Probably six months ago, uh, or before Afghanistan, I was, I was I was more bullish on Democrats having an okay midterm, just because all these things Republic we're just talking we're talking about now, uh, they're not really actionable. They're not a thing. Like no mem no member of Congress, no Democratic member of Congress is coming home and saying, "I'm going to teach uh, your kids. I'm going to put all these explicit books in school because I know it freaks you out." They're not really doing it. So you had conservative activism focused on stuff that the real hardcore ideologues were interested in. And that's still the case. And that's not where most voters are. It's just that voters can be convinced, oh, um, if, if something's happening that's so crazy that nothing works anymore. So the school's less good than it used to be. And the dollar's worth less than it used to be. It needs to be connected to something. Mm -hmm. There aren't really people uh, turning out and saying, I used to be a Democrat, but I'm so angry that, that, that uh, a teacher who's gay had a TikTok saying she was gay. That stuff does feel like... Uh, People who, I mean, like Chris Rufo and some other people like, who had incredible success in the anti-CRT thing are kind of trying to get into a side gig and make it about that. I don't think that's clicked quite as much yet. It's, just, it's all the other stuff. I mean, if that was happening in an in a environment where the economy was like what it was in summer 2019, I, I just don't, I don't know if it would be connecting in the same way. Because everybody, as soon as anybody wins anything, they're like, well, that's what did it. All of my, my pet issue is the reason that we won this thing. Uh, mm -hmm. you, like Virginia's never a good example. You go back and look at the data. It wasn't that a bunch of parents were so angry that they switched over. It, the electorate was just a lot more uh, white and rural than it usually is. Those guys who vote for Trump and nobody else could be convinced to vote for Yunkin. That's that, that's the moment. News cycles change. What would really scare the Democrats I cover is thinking, oh, well, we have a better electorate that we used to that turns out, but they have an even better one. And their one is motivated on stuff we're not doing. <laughs> like, no, that. 
they're right. Yeah, they're going home and saying, "Here's the money I brought back for the bridge." And the meet and the question that like the Fox News view- viewer is getting is like, "What are you doing about the pedo tunnels under Disney?" Which is a literal <laughs> thing people have brought up to me when I've been talking to them. <laughs> and so that, that's where it's so confusing them. It's like the Republicans are chasing something that's probably not where most people's heads are at, but they're angry enough about another stuff that they're they're willing to go along with it. And then they say, "Up, oh, the lesson of this is." Uh, we're, we're the school book restricting uh, movement right now. Yeah, and it's, it's could you think of a better issue to like motivate that 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 PMC person at home who doesn't have that much skin in the game? Like mm-hmm. the idea that a, a school somewhere is going to ban Tony Morrison. I mean, it is. There's a lot of these issues where Democrats are just kind of trapped in with, in a room with Republicans and they want to win the argument. It's not clear that anyone cares. Uh, anyone who could be persuaded cares. The people who are persuaded were like, "Could you shut up and make it that <laughs> like I have a child tax credit again?" Do you have any takes on that, Matt? Well, that raises the interesting question. So the Republicans are, as the losing party uh, for the last election in midterm, usually are more motivated. Uh, the economic headwinds, as they like to say, are pushing against the incumbents. But the other big thing that's uh, suggestive of a wipeout is this huge collapse in Biden's approval of young, younger people. Mm-hmm. This uh, possibility of just a massive not switch to Republicans, but rather just a uh, a decision to stay home. Uh, and the question is, does the fact that the Republicans plan for keeping their base whipped up uh, involve pressing all of the most sensitive culture war buttons that, you know, young people do, the young Democrats anyway, uh, are committed to? Uh, will that be enough to get them to overcome their disappointment uh, and resentment of Brandon? and the Democrats, uh, uh, and to imagine that there are stakes enough to vote in the midterm. And I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. The Republicans do love overplaying their hands. Oh, yeah. And they think that they're winning. I mean, a lot of the trans politics is it's not that they think we found a great thing on the floor and uh, we're upset. It's that they think we can if if, if we freak people out about uh, everyone becoming low T and transgender, then we're going to get a lot of votes. That's the thought behind it. But you're right. That's not. That's not really where everybody's head is at at the moment. I, I do think that helps a lot of people I'm talking about motivate themselves to turn out like, ah, well, you know, I, Biden's not in the ballot. I, I don't want these 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 people to win. I mean, that was the whole McAuliffe campaign at the end was, do you really want these people to win? And it failed, but it failed, again, less miserably <laughs> than what they've done <laughs> in the past. So my I point towards yeah. uh, what what Felix said in yeah. a couple episodes ago. They lose the House and Senate if no for, for no other reason than they don't really have any any leeway there, so they're likely yeah. to lose the Senate with and the House if there's any you know partisan uh, Republican edge to the electorate or to the outcome anyway. Uh, but that won't be a complete annihilation. And would you would you think that that would you say you know I don't like to do uh, predictions, but I'm happy to ask you to do predictions. Right now, does it feel to you more like a, a wipeout is coming or a, a more uh, uh, more middle of the bell curve, sort of pro pro opposition party midterm. I think it, it would be a wipeout if if Republicans uh, got out of their way, and in some places they are. I mean, I feel I feel that there's stuff that went Democratic by ten fifteen points that will be in play just because of enough voters are switching over, and and which kind of voters are they? So there's a if there's a district that's like a, there's one Colorado seventh district. Watch watch this flip, and I look stupid. But that one's just like everyone there has a college degree, basically. That's and Republicans are saying we're going to compete for it, but it's really tough. And then there are seats where, uh, like in Nevada, where the electorate is Hispanic and uh, 
white voters without college degrees. And those voters, those groups are both like done with this. So I feel like there's going to be potential wipeouts in places that were drawn to be safe for Democrats because of who is voting. I, I hate using the, well, let's not do this. Let's not do the weasel thing where it's like, well, if it was held today, I just say like, that trend has been happening for a year. So if, if the people who, uh, if the electorate looks like 2014, that was a really small one. Um, even they'd be losing differently than they, they would lose this under this electorate. There's a lot of people who were fine with voting Democratic until like six months ago, but they, but they live in different kinds of places. I mean, even this Florida electoral map that they're trying to finish up is, is, is getting attention because the rest of the redistricting was not that great for Republicans, a combination of lawsuits and just there's so many suburbanites who don't want to vote Republican that there's not that much more they can gain. Like if you push them, they're like, yeah, on the current map, there's maybe 15 seats we should be able to flip. But if things get really crazy, we're going to be competing for, you know, the deep blue place that, you know, nobody had bothered spending money in that moved 30 points toward Biden. They think those could be in play because the Biden coalition is weird. I, I said that before, probably a better word. Um, it is like everyone from uh, most you know, DSA members to Bill Crystal. And they want different <laughs> stuff. Like it is really like, I'm going to suck it down and vote for. And a lot of those people are, I'm going to suck it up and vote for Joe Biden, who I don't love. There are people who he's more like than Hillary Clinton was for lots of, lots of reasons. Uh, but there are a lot of voters who, who were like, I voted for him to get Trump out. Things are still bad. I'm tuning out everything. And maybe I'll tune back in and vote Democratic. Because but, if, if I see the Stephen Colbert that night and he scares me, I'll, maybe I'll vote. Not a very edifying election. That's where you see people talking. It also struck strikes me when there's, you know, when people are writing a lot about this kind of historic collapse of young people, young people's enthusiasm in the Democratic coalition, how much that suck it up and vote for me was the explicit pitch of the Biden campaign of being like, basically like, you don't like me, I don't like you, but everybody has to get in the van to do this one thing. And now the one thing's done. And I mean, that was the, you know, the statement from the beginning. So it's like, I you know it, it shouldn't. Come uh, yeah, it, their argument. Like, it is very funny watching people get mad at the young people for checking out because, like, what Biden's explicit pitch to people was: "I am the status quo. You will not get what you want, but that's okay because we have this bigger mission." But you know what? When it's when the election's over, we'll 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 discuss it. You know, yeah. like uh, like we'll see. Your parents saying we'll see. Well, you got home and you found out what many kids do that we'll see means no. <laughs> We'll see always means no. They're just trying to shine you on. Uh, and so this is absolutely unpredictable. Unpredict- uh, and if you do believe that uh, Biden is constrained and can't do the things that th- these people want him to do, then uh, getting mad at them for feeling that way to me is absolutely baffling mm-hmm. because you're, ex- you're, you're essentially a- asking them to just uh, act like you're your parents, essentially. Like, like pretend you own a home. Yeah. But- <laughs> Most, you know, it's like, I'm sorry, I, I am who I am. I, I have a student loan debt and uh, I have, you know, a precarious life situation. And there's these things that I, I, I imagine this guy could do. And this stuff that his predecessor was doing, that they're now being cut off and we're being told, like, accept this. It's like, yes, if you are a secure Democrat, the people who really pushed Biden over, the people who didn't want to die of COVID uh, and so voted for Biden over Trump. For them, this is not a big deal. This is not a reason to not do your duty to vote for the Democrats. But they're young people. By definition, they vote less. 
They're supposed to care about politics less because mm-hmm. they're supposed to be having fun. <laughs> I, well, I, we do have a bunch of individual races to go uh, to get into, uh, and there's a lot of real fun, goofy stuff to talk about there. But I wanted to hit one more thing in just the general vibe before we get there. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Biden, uh, but I do want to touch on Trump's role in the whole uh, midterm cosmology because this is the first election in six years. He's not either in office or uh, on the ballot. Uh, and yet, you know, as I'm putting together the uh, dossier on all this, basically every, you know, Republican primary race is, is defined by proximity to Trump. So, uh, Dave, at this point, what is uh, the, the exiled Trump? What, what is his um, kind of role in, in, in all of this and in the Republican politics right now? I mean, he's having a great time. You see you see <laughs> all the you see all the photos of him hanging out with the, a very small buffet stand at Mar-a-Lago. That's always what surprises me. I would imagine like some kind of Vegas uh, casino uh, buffet, but whenever I see that buffet photo, it's him and maybe some eggs, uh, ketchup for some reason. But he, he's hanging out Mar-a-Lago. Everybody comes to Jenny Fleck. I mean, this JD, and we'll get into Ohio. This JD Vance endorsement, I thought was uh, by the time it happened, it shouldn't have been that surprising. But I think even a few months ago, I mean, I went on the air to cover Vance when Marjorie Green endorsed him, and I was like, and I thought, one, this makes sense. Two, what is what is better than having somebody that publicly denounced you and says they hate you begging, you know, begging for your support. That sounds amazing. Who wouldn't want that? And so Trump has just not only popularity among Republicans, but Republicans really willing to, to supplicate themselves uh, and seeing just no other sure thing path to winning a campaign than getting him to endorse them. So he has complete control by choice. I mean, like one hinge point in history, I guess, is if Mitch McConnell had convinced, what was it, taken nine Republican senators to just say, yeah, actually, what he did is so bad, he's banned from running for office again. He could have. Uh, we'd be in a different situation, but he didn't. And Trump or anything else, does people have the, unless you are a very weird person who is on Twitter all the time, a bad thing happens. And then like a month later, you, you're like, well, I'm not constantly thinking about that bad thing anymore. Uh, that's mm-hmm. how you adjust and live. You're not, you're not like tweeting about trauma. And so Republicans who really did think January 6th was bad are like, you know what? Uh, but my voters don't think that. And it wasn't really that bad. And he's just in a great position where he doesn't have to apologize for anything. He has a rally that the rallies have gotten like a little bit smaller um, from what I've seen. I haven't been to any in a while. Yo, you'd better not be talking about the oh, size yeah. of Trump rallies, Dave Weigel. This is true. This is <laughs> always where I get put on you again. Yeah. He, uh, he, he apparently talks about that <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but anyway, no, the, the rallies are, are like, they're big. They're the biggest rallies anyone is having in the country. They're just like, I think he went to yeah, Selma, exactly. Selma, North Carolina, and he got more people than Biden gets when he goes to like Boston. That's just true. Um, but so he's not like driving news cycles. He just drives news cycles inside the Republican Party. I cannot stress how much entire primary campaigns are just people talking about who loves Trump the most. And that is we'll all get that into they this. talk about. Yeah. Yes. Although uh, we'll also get into this. Uh, his endorsement has not yet appeared to be the sort of golden ticket that everyone was really assuming. Yeah. Because there's been some uh, some of his, they haven't taken off, but we'll talk about that. Well, let's get into it. I, uh, for this episode, I think I'm going to be, most of my focus is going to be on the Senate simply because there are, what, 435 House races? Mm-hmm. And Dave, you can maybe highlight some as they come up. I'm going to uh, rank them all. No, no. <laughs> uh, but obviously in the Senate, uh, an incredibly precarious time for the Dems kind of, uh, you know, you have to be lucky every time we only have to be lucky once spot the Democrats find them in to keep their 
uh, slim control of the Senate. Uh, there are 14 Democratic seats up this cycle, all in states Biden won. Uh, 21 Republican seats are up, and uh, two of those are in Biden states, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. So we come down to a map that looks like GOP pickups possible in Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, maybe New Hampshire, and at possible Democratic pickup spots in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, maybe North Carolina. So with that said, let's go to the states. Starting with Georgia, the peach state. Now let's dive right into whether or not this Trump endorsement is a golden ticket or not. Uh, For governor, we have uh, Brian Kemp versus David Perdue in the GOP governor primary. Perdue had gotten the Trump endorsement, but is currently floundering. Kemp up currently almost 12 points to Purdue. Uh, Dave, any insight on the Georgia governor race? Yeah. Or Georgia think, in general? I think a problem for Trump is is Georgia, he has so many endorsements that people are kind of picking and choosing. And they're like, well, I'm going to vote for his guy for Senate, I'm vote for his guy for Secretary of State. For governor, I'm not sold yet. It's just kind of, it's easier to sell you know, streaming channels than a cable plan. Like you, you can, you can make your choice. You're going to, and, and Kemp just really has not done anything apart from literally, like not literally overturn the election and pretend Trump won it. There is no rhino thing in Kemp's past. Even when you go, when Trump goes there and talks about it, he can't really articulate what Kemp did. It's just <laughs> that it's that he and others did, you know, did not stop absentee ballots from, or let it be easier to cast absentee ballots, and let ballots be dropped in drop boxes. Well, also, uh, didn't he, they ask him to literally just find votes for him in Georgia? Weren't they recorded? They asked the Secretary that? of State to do that, too. Yeah. It was, can you just find yeah. 10,000 something? That was a, my, yeah. col- my, my colleague Amy Gardner's story, uh, which is one of the, and that story is also one of those moments where we realized just you can't, you can't like stamp your feet and say, why don't people listen to reality? Because that story published, and it has an audio of Donald Trump. And I have met people who were like, well, that story was made up. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, they don't want to believe. Yeah. Or, yeah. If you prove it to them, then it isn't what the, it was when they didn't believe it. There's nothing to be done. Yeah, you guys, does, the media didn't write about the laptop. You know, the yeah, ipso exactly. facto, nothing you say can be trusted. Yeah. Yep. Uh, this does raise an interesting question, though, because the the Achilles heel of a Trump rebound, to me, is that fixation on the election uh, to the, dis- mm-hmm. the to the uh, ignorance of everything else and, and, ma- and making it like the only uh, litmus test for support other than making sure that you think they can win because Trump doesn't want to back a loser, no matter what they believe. Uh, Cause that looks bad. That reflects badly on him. So here we have a case where he's trying to unseat a sitting governor using his, this guy's failure to help him out uh, after the election as the sole reason for doing it. And even in Georgia, which, you know, has a strong Republican uh, tilt electorally generally, even though it went to Biden, they're not sold on it. It's not enough for them to overthrow their governor. So that makes you wonder how is that really possible? Is his fixation on that a chink in the armor big enough for somebody like, say, Ron DeSantis to sneak in? I don't think so, because it's he's going to. So I'm in the media, but the media loves the Trump endorsement story. It's just it's 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 interesting on its own. It's also just easy to track. You can get your scoreboard and say, OK, he's got he's got a W here. He's got a he's got an X here. Um and so May begins with uh, Ohio's primary, and if J.D. Vance wins that, I think that just the vibes from that will carry Trump quite a ways. I mean, he will not be able to mm. stop talking about how he did that. Then a week later, you got West Virginia. There's a House race I've covered where he's endorsed a guy. Basically, that race, 
one guy voted for the infrastructure bill and Trump retroactively is like, that's not fair. I wanted to pass that. So he endorsed <laughs> the other guy. So I think he's going to have some some momentum coming in, but there's no, uh, and he, he will turn on Kemp. And one thing Trump did in the last month that I thought, uh, I tried to be surprised, but I thought, hey, no, you could do that. It was Mo Brooks in Alabama was just kind of sucking wind in the primary. And Trump said, you know, I'm, I'm endorsing him for, for reasons. Uh, right. Yeah. He, because he doesn't want to back a loser. <laughs> yeah. That's so he it. can pull that off. He can just say, well, you know, I, I tried for Ryan Kemp, but he's a loser and I knew he was never going to win. I only did it uh, as a favor. And the people at the MAGA are going to be like, you're right. You're right, sir. I mean, you, that's you, a good you, point. Yeah. You cannot fail. You can only be failed. Um, but yeah, Kemp <laughs> looks like he's, you know, tr- totally. It's like, uh, but Kemp, Kemp is, has been in command just because like, he's been a really conservative governor and there's no reason to dislike him apart from Trump telling you to. If you're, a yeah, I mean, you, you kind of, uh, talked about this earlier, but I think one of the things about the the Trump endorsements that makes them, you know, maybe a little flimsier than they should be is that it is all it's, you know, it's not a slate. It's not announced all at once. It's not coherent. It's all just about the personal peak of Trump. So you have to be like a Trump follower. You know, you have to get your daily Trump updates to even know who he's talking about or like, you know, what is going on in his imaginarium to follow these endorsements. So, you know, I, I find them not like clearly message there's not like you know he doesn't roll out and be like in this state these are my guys it's basically like whenever somebody sucks up enough to get you know their their trump suck up bar past you know the whatever percentile they then get the endorsement and it's kind of you know fickle random uh incoherent basically yeah i think that that's that's fair and some of these endorsements there's one in michigan where he endorsed a guy on the on the old district lines and the guy built his his state rep running for congress against a a well, here, I'll, I'll lay it out because this is, explains, one, how Trump does it, and two, how he always, like, wins anyway <laughs> inside the party. So, Michigan, there's a couple members of Congress who voted to impeach Trump. One of them, Fred Upton, is in there. Uh, Trump endorses a state rep against Upton, just saying, this guy uh, is great, Upton is a traitor. Okay, that guy's based his whole campaign around Trump, uh, and Steve Caro is his name. And then they have new districts. In the new district, there's a different guy running against Trump. So, Trump endorses that guy, uh, sorry, up against Upton. Trump endorses the other guy running against Upton. The first guy he endorsed just quits because Trump told him to. <laughs> and then Upton just retires because all, you know, like three of these other, I think he's the third of these guys who were like, I stood up to Trump when it mattered. Oh man, that was hard. And they just, they just quit so, <laughs> with, with very little effort. I mean, I, I can, I think putting on, you know, giving a speech, putting on a rally, that is effort. Uh, other things cause effort. Just like sitting at your house and having people come to you and say, please, sir, please. That's pretty easy. So with very little effort, Trump is is you know, pushing people off the chessboard, getting the people he wanted. And a contrast with Democrats who don't quite know what they're doing. It's pretty it's pretty incredible. It really reminds you that one of the reasons that the Demo- Republicans are less of a just completely sclerotic gerontocracy is that these Congress people are lazy as shit. If you make them work at all as they get to a certain age, they'll just go home. They'll just, <laughs> it's like, fuck you. I'll be a fucking lobbyist and make uh, eight figures. I'm not yeah. going to fucking have to go back and campaign what at my age <laughs> and have to like worry about a, a primary, but yeah, a little pressure and these guys quit, but Democrats, they don't really get credible primary challenges that often, at least not until recently. Yeah. Except the leadership will stick around forever, but then there's, there's a bunch of people this cycle, just somebody raised money against them. They're like, Oh no, man, really? And then they just retire because <laughs> they're, they're 70 something. They can be a senior fellow of whatever, or be on the board of Theranos too. 
uh, whatever it is you want to do if you're an ex-congressman. Let's move on to the Senate campaign in Georgia. We have Raphael Warnock, who won the special election in 2020. Remember, uh, his election, along with John Ossoff, was what was supposed to bring you those $2,000 checks immediately when they got to Senate. Uh, Don't know how that turned out. I assume good. Uh, Versus Herschel Walker. The 1982 Heisman Trophy winning running back for the New Jersey Generals, among other teams. Uh, Now he's a businessman claiming ownership for several businesses, some of which the uh, Daily Beast recently reported don't actually exist. And he's also skipping the latest GOP primary debates, uh, though he still remains the front runner in the GOP primaries. He's also faced with allegations of domestic abuse, for which he has discussed struggle with dissociative identity disorder. He also has a... a gay conservative influencer son named Christian. So obviously I would say that the, um, I guess the, the fame meter favors Herschel Walker. Uh, he is as of now uh, up 1.6 points over Warnock. The state went to Biden just barely in 2020. Uh, how do we think the Georgia Senate goes? I mean, uh, Walker has the advantage. There are Republicans who quietly think that, but what does quietly mean in politics? It's basically they'll tell a reporter, <laughs> but then they'll tell you not to quote it. They, they, they do think that that Walker is just so personally flawed that he's going to have problems. And Walker, Walker has run. Um, he's kind of pulled the full Tommy Tuberville. So Tommy Tuberville won a Senate primary and a Senate seat without ever debating his opponent. He just mm-hmm. is. He's a coach. People know him. Uh, I remember I remember him because I, I was calling around at some point in the race saying, uh, hey, you know, I'm a campaign reporter. I've been covering the race. When could I come out? And his campaign was very on, not rude, just honest, saying. Uh, we're we're winning. We're not really going to do any interviews or stuff like that. <laughs> we're just going to like coast and win this thing. And Herschel Walker's been doing that. He's got all these Republican opponents warning uh, this guy is is going to make so many gaps he can't win. And Republicans just put up with it because they're like, well, he's he, people know his name. He can beast it out. If this is like a plus eight Republican year, you can make a lot of mistakes and win. I think my, you mentioned most of them. My favorite Walker oddity is he famously. Uh, I mean, the reason he was in the USFL is because he was allowed to, uh, at that point, they could turn professional after a junior season, not a senior. So Walker, Walker pretty famously like leaves this great college career to go to the USFL and then claims many years later that he was this high school valedictorian, or sorry, that he graduated top of his class in college, which is not <laughs> a thing you do when you quit college. But it but just so we're so in this uh, Trump crafted reality in Republican primaries where everyone's like, Eh, won't matter. Yeah, be fine. You, just, you can just say stuff. Say stuff. And they watched Warnock had what they thought was going to be fatal in 2020, which was this dispute with his wife, uh, who you know pre- I won't say press charges. He makes it publicly known that like in a dispute that he backed over her foot with his car, and he's a senator now. So the, yeah. the idea that something's going to take Walker out that that sounds bad, I feel like they've they've, uh, they've gotten over that. Matt, any thoughts on Georgia? Uh, the, it's funny we got through both of those races without remembering that. The opponent of Kemp or uh, oh yes, of Purdue course. is going to be Stacey Abrams, which I think speaks to just how far her stock has plunged uh, since she didn't get uh, to be uh, Brandon's VP. Uh, because I don't think there's anybody. She's no longer the the. I don't see the Democrats like worshiping her or believing her. She's going to deliver them Georgia anymore, uh, especially you know since that. That spell was broken in 2020 with the with the with Brandon winning and with the uh, with the special elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like, yeah, 
she's not going to win and nobody even seems to care. So I think she might be done for. Who knows? Yeah, just going through these the candidates here, it does seem like uh, the median <laughs> the median Republican candidate in this cycle is a uh, former hedge fund executive who's been accused of domestic abuse. And the median Democratic candidate is somebody who has been uh, somehow both in the national conversation among Democrats for like a decade, but has lost six consecutive races. Losers. <laughs> the word you're looking for is losers. Yes. So that's kind of where we are here. Uh, Stacey Abrams stock is down. She is pulling behind either Kemp or Purdue. Um, most recently, she pivoted from doing, you know, voter protection stuff, which she has, you know, made a big place for herself in the Democratic Party. Swing and a miss on that one. <laughs> uh, to talking about how she's uh, a, a businesswoman and uh, has started many small businesses. So, oh, uh, wonderful. You know, that's always a sign of strength. She, she kind of infamously... When when Biden came to Georgia to uh, to close the deal, that sounds sarcastic. But when he came to Georgia for his final rally before the Senate voting rights bill, she just wasn't there. And they, she never had a great <laughs> I had to be somewhere else excuse. She, she just goes like, yeah, I'm, I'm not there. You can probably figure out why. Um, but yeah, she's running a different although she never has run as the far left uh, candidate. She's always been I'm, I'm pretty liberal, but I'm very good at describing how my life and my work fits within the just just like yours, and I'm I'm not anti business and she's, yeah, but yeah, I mean but you're yeah. still chasing you're chasing yeah, a, a conservative position, which is never I don't know it just doesn't seem to have a really strong track record. I mean Claire McCaskill and people like that yeah, yeah. they go out blaming uh you know leftists for uh, smearing the brand of the Democratic Party, but all that really tells you is that that specific strategy of running to the right in these states is it cannot win as long as the democratic party is a national party mm -hmm. and the Claire McCaskill's of the world, what they're, they're demanding is impossible because it cannot be enforced. You're telling people who aren't members of the party, who aren't members of its electoral class to think differently and act differently. How is that a fucking pop, uh, plan? How is that an electoral strategy? which is the same one that people who are saying that young people should just stop being mad at Brandon are doing <laughs> like you actually have to have be in charge of like the thing, like Pelosi complaining. Oh, there's too much loose talk about socialism and abortion again. Nothing they can do about that. Yes. They're literally saying we're in charge of this party, but we also cannot change anything about it. Well, then why the hell should you stay there? Well, let's move on to Ohio because there's a lot to talk about in Ohio. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, the main thing about Ohio right now is the shit show Republican primary. We've got Ohio Treasurer Josh Mandel. We've, we've gone over this a bit, but just as a refresher, Ohio Treasurer Josh Mandel, State GOP Chair Jane Timken, and investment banker Mike Gibbons, and of course, the G-Shucks Yaley, J.D. Vance. I just want to quote this uh, Time Magazine a report on a recent GOP debate. It was the greatest hits of the conservative fantasy last night on stage in Wilberforce, Ohio, as the Republican Senate candidates clashed in another debate. Topics for discussion, massive ballot harvesting operations in urban areas, jail time for Dr. Anthony Fauci, a defense of uh, reps Marjorie Taylor Greene and Madison Cawthorn, Hunter Biden's laptop and Joe Biden's family crime syndicate, a total deportation of immigrants in the country illegally and the restoration of Donald Trump to the White House as quickly as possible. Uh, Dave, have you been to Ohio recently? Yeah, I'll head back there. I was there uh, only for a little while when Vance was rolling out his 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 green endorsement. Uh, not not the biggest thing that happened to race. And I was there last year for the Nina Turner Chantel Chantel Brown thing <laughs> getting a rematch. Um, but it was a uh, it was hard to get a feel on things there, and it's it's still it was hard until the Trump endorsement because you had a ton of of 
in some ways flawed Republican candidates. The whole J.D. Vance theory, which I think is being borne out, is, yes, I have said more bad things about Donald Trump, who I did not vote for in 2016, <laughs> than any of these people, but I'm better at talking than they are. And that's been true. I mean, he's just better. He's more compelling. He's, he's meaner, which I think is, is, is... If you read a Hillbilly Elegy, I mean, I don't think it's inconsistent with the J.D. Vance of Hillbilly Elegy. I mean, so he's a kid who grew up with a, he's a, a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, it was his, his family was poor. He blamed... He didn't know who to blame, and then as a, as an adult, as a MAGA guy, he knows who to blame. He just adopted that. Oh, I just love yeah. I love though how he switched. He went from blaming his parents for being weak, yeah, and, and for having bad bad hillbilly blood, just being trash, to now it's uh it's it's the Repu- Democrats and China's fault for getting them all hooked on fentanyl and Mexico and, and, and Mexican border. Yeah. We'll we, uh, we'll we put in a clip of his most recent. Uh, hey, are you racist? So am yeah. I. Ad. Are you a racist? Do you hate Mexicans? The media calls us racist for wanting to build Trump's wall. They censor us, but it doesn't change the truth. Joe Biden's open border is killing Ohioans with more illegal drugs and more Democrat voters pouring into this country. I got to say, I really I marveled at his uh, we all marveled at how like phony and transparent his attempt to suck up to the people who he spent his career defaming in order to get head pats from Hollywood liberals. And he is inauthentic at it, but uh, his opponents are all uh None of those are strong candidates. And the guy who sort of embodied like the authentic version of what Vance was going for, uh, Mandel, is a fucking serial loser. The guy's run for every office in the state and gotten his ass kicked. Uh, So it's like there's no strong horse there to oppose him. And then what Vance has is the fact that he is because he started off as the ultimate POC striver. And his initial uh, like worldview is basically liberal. Like it's these hillbillies own fault. That is the liberal diagnosis for the problems he grew up with. And that's why they all liked him. And they gave him a movie. Uh, he knows them inside and out and that, and he is one basically. And so he can speak in a way that gets under the skin of liberals. And that means that they talk about him and they get mad at him. And I don't think Trump necessarily notices anything that uh, like d- discreetly online, but you know who does Don fucking junior <laughs> Don junior is more online than anybody on earth. He's more hooked into the, just dispiriting meme war between Democrats and Republicans. So he knows that Vance gets liberals pissed because he can push their buttons the same way that the post left became like a phenomenon because on Twitter, because unlike MAGA people saying things that are just gibberish, this is like a, uh, a critique from within in a way. And it just drives him crazy. Uh, and then uh, Don Jr. sees that and he's like, hey, dad, uh, you know, if you don't have anybody else you like in Ohio, how about J.D. Vance? And since there is nobody else for for uh, Trump to like instinctively pick, he goes, sure. And that means it's people like us who are responsible for this motherfucker actually going to probably win, uh, which I think is honestly perfect. We were talking about how at least there's that like remaining, you know, bullshit detector in humans to prevent a slug like J.D. Vance from sneaking in. And now. That's gone too, and how could it last? I started to put stock in him when he he gives a speech at the NatCon conference. That's the post liberals you're talking about, and and his theme is uh, that the left the left is led by people who have no children and therefore have no yeah. buy in, in the future, which is a very pilled um, new right argument, right? That mm-hmm. is like a that is like Bronze Age mindset. That's a, that's a lot of these these new things here. You saw it with this Tucker Carlson, everything was memeing. It kind of came pre memed. But Tucker Carlson promotional video about the end of men. Oh yes, uh, that's we got where a new this, testicular tanning. Yeah, 
that's very online, and and Don Jr. is very aware of that. And and Vance, I mean, to the extent he came up with himself, and the extent he adopted it, uh, it's a mix. But that's that's the new stuff, and it's very clear when you're watching him in a debate with with guys who are just MAGA as of 2019 uh, mm-hmm. that they, they 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 haven't run done the new reading. They're using they're using uh, last year. <laughs> they're on the old the, script. They're on the old sales. They don't have the good Glenn Gary leads. He's got the good <laughs> Glenn Gary leads, which is which is the left is not just bad. They are perverts who don't have children and they're trying to kid, turn your kid gay. That is a big undercurrent in a lot of a lot of this stuff. I mean, he referred to TikTok as the the Chinese pedo app, and and that is just I think really right inside the heads of a lot of uh, Republican, not just elites, but some of the voters too. There is that I've seen this this mindset that that's powering a lot of the uh, the school protests, which is uh, yeah, these liberals are just they want to watch Disney movies and you know, experiment with gender and, and they're, and they're ruining America because America is supposed to be a place where you can have a family and afford a house. And what Vance does successfully is say also those things, <laughs> which is <laughs> I mean, like, he has a riff that I saw in the campaign trail where he, he talks about, you know, BlackRock and, and investors buying up houses so they can rent them to people. And that's an issue I've heard, you know, the left run on and with mm-hmm. ideas and his is there is like, I don't want my kid to grow up in a future where he's, uh, buying Chinese products and living in a house that he can't own, owned by a Chinese banker. And I'm like, well, that's that's a populism. There you go. You're connecting this to something real, and you're also really irritating the left uh, in your spare time. Whereas like Mandel um, and these guys, I really can't stress, Trump I, I also watched these debates. The debates were just very revealing of who had juice and who didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy who's just been giving speeches um, to, not just, but... You know, Vance has been taken around the country, kind of drilled, uh, got the whole Peter Thiel like mindset and makeover. And you get to be really good at talking and arguing, which I think he was already. And he's running against guys who are just very stuck on talking points and kind of stumbling around uh, when the Ukraine invasion happened. I mean, Vance was uh, this is a little bit of tangent. Vance Vance's statement on Ukraine initially was uh, you know once he didn't one he didn't care two that. Uh, the, we'd invested as Americans in a failed Ukrainian army. So he totally misses the boat on, you know, Zelensky mania. Uh, let's uh, like, even conservatives were saying, well, I wish we had a real president like Zelensky instead of Biden. But his opponents didn't really do anything with it because they, they're like, um, what's the talking point on this? Uh, well, Biden is weak and um, oh, Ukraine is good. And he would just swoop in and say, yeah, my opponents uh, are acting emotionally. They want World War III, where I will, I, I had the guts to say Ukraine doesn't matter and, Mex- you know, the Mexican border does. I mean, he just, he just outplayed them. I mean, there's some campaigns where, like, Herschel Walker is sleepwalking to victory. Vance actually did kind of have to hustle for it. And, you know, by pissing off liberals, as we were saying. So all the candidates there were uh, humping hard for the Trump endorsement. Uh, this is from NPR recounting TV ads. Uh, Josh Mandel's ad was Josh Mandel, pro-God, pro-gun, pro-Trump. Another was uh, Jane Timken uh, saying, there are pretenders in the Senate race. Jane Timken is the real Trump conservative. And Mike Me Gibbons, so horny for President Trump. Yeah, and Mike Gibbons saying, Trump and Gibbons are businessmen with a backbone. Trump saved our economy before Gibbons knows how to do it again. None of them got the, the endorsement. Vance did get the endorsement. Uh, no new polling since then. Uh, but last time we checked, the RCP checked in on Ohio. Uh, Vance was in third place, fully seven points behind uh, Josh Mandel. You think, Dave, that that's going to flip with the Trump endorsement and uh, Vance has a real shot at, the, at pulling off the primary, it's which is enough. in just a matter of days. Yeah, and, and and early voting had been happening, but people really, really weren't really taking advantage of it yet. Uh, this this and we're going to Pennsylvania. These are both kind of like 2016 GOP primary all over again, where somebody with with the right 
appeal of celebrity and like lib lib hating uh, only needs to get like thirty percent to to win because no one else will get out. There's just there's just all these. I mean, Mike Gibbons, this banker who's running, um, who led in the polls for a minute, is just incredibly wealthy and self funding. And I've never been a billionaire investment banker, but I assume <laughs> if you can buy like anything else, why would you say, well, yeah, I spent twenty million on in this race, but I'm going to quit. Uh, Mandel, we discussed. Jane Tinkin, who is the chair of the Republican Party in Ohio, is just is just very. Uh, very programmed and has not and has like jumped on every single message. It's effective that Vance has been just immigration, immigration, immigration. The Peter Thiel ads also bashing immigration. Um, whereas Timken was like, whatever was in the news, she didn't add. And it became um, just kind of a joke in every debate. I think at least three times each per debate, she would just turn back watching and saying, I'm a mom on a mission who will have the grit <laughs> and the grace to deliver the MAGA agenda. And, and, and you know, people are. Uh, whatever we think of the voter, <laughs> like people have gotten conditioned to say, well, that one sounds like she's reading from talking points, whereas that guy sounds like me on Twitter and like the me on Twitter guy. That's uh, that's that's the way to go. Yeah. People are looking for a mirror. Yeah. You got to be able to perform. Well, just to touch on the Democratic side uh, in the Democratic primary for Senate, we have U.S. Rep. Tim Ryan, who you might remember from the presidential pi- primaries. Oh, yeah. Uh, roughly one sp- billion years ago. Right and he's the guy who thinks that. Uh, you're going to reverse the industrialization with like yoga studios. That's his deal, right? Like he's the yoga congressman, I think like he's, the wellness guy. He's written oh, yes, twice wellness. as many books as Vance. He wrote one about wellness and one about a different kind of wellness, which is like healthy eating. But yeah. Uh, and he is uh, in a primary against Morgan Harper, a senior advisor for the consumer financial protection bureau. She's anti-monopolist. She's a Medicare for all supporter, a public transit investment supporter. She's pro pro act, et cetera. Uh, assume she does not have a chance here. Not really. The, the, this is Ohio is going to be weird for progressives unless they get a lot of momentum because you got Nina Turner's rematch and you have Harper running against Ryan. But like, it's neither of them have figured out uh, how to win over an electorate who's just like really panicked. And I mean, if you're an Ohio Democrat, everything's falling apart. You went from like mm-hmm. winning to losing in like five years. Uh, so Ryan just raised a ton of money too for a guy who never never mattered in the, in the presidential. And he's run this, um, I mean, he's gotten attention with, it. he's run this real, what we think worked for Bill Clinton kind of campaign where his first ad was just him saying the word China, I think like 12 times, and just, <laughs> <laughs> but you go back to his campaign. They're like, yep, it works. Like we're, we're in Ohio. We're not listening to the woke, the woke folks anymore. We're going to bash China. That is what people want. And, and, uh, Harper has if, not done that. If people are panicking, he should tell them to breathe. Just breathe, <laughs> feel your body, feel that you're inhabiting your body, feel the space that you're in. Yeah, Honestly, not doing that as much. Th- we really are just getting different, uh, you know, prescriptions here that boil down to the same thing. Nothing can be done mm-hmm. about any of the actual structures of dominance in your life. You have to look within. That's it. Uh, and and it's only it's just a different per- specific prescription depending on like the cultural uh, valence, but the underlying premise is identical. Well, it also sounds like if we do get both Vance and Ryan in there, we will, uh, by the end of the general debates, have at least one candidate for Ohio Senate pledging to deploy the Ohio National Guard into uh, Beijing or something. So um, looking forward to the great Ohio-China War of 2023. But let's move on then to Pennsylvania, the Keystone State. Uh, This is maybe one of the better chances for a Dem flip. Right now, leading the Democratic primaries, we have John Fetterman. He's the uh, the big guy with the goatee, right? He is very big, uh, 
large goatee. He's less big than he used to be. He lost like 100 pounds, Ooh. which on a guy his, I think he's 6'9". On a guy his size, you notice it, but uh, <laughs> he, had, he had room to spare. So he has been uh, leading the Democratic primaries. Uh, more, more recently, though, he has been come under attack from the other candidates over uh, a shotgun kerfuffle. Uh, apparently, when he was mayor of Braddock, Pennsylvania in 2013, Fetterman used a shotgun to detain, did not fire, but, you know, threatened with a shotgun to detain an unarmed black jogger, claiming that Fetterman had heard shots in the area and then just chased off after this guy with a shotgun who was running near his house. Uh, this is becoming a bit of an issue and digging his points a little bit in the primary, but it seems like he's going to withstand that and go on. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, that story has been used against him in, in every time, every time he's kind of got momentum, which is not that often. So he ran, he ran for Senate, uh, in, in 16, he got kind of, got kind of owned, but it was the same time as Bernie. So he got a lot of that, that juice. And then 2018, he runs for Lieutenant governor. And that's when they really try this. Like he's not that popular with a lot of Pittsburgh activists. If you know many Pittsburgh leftists, he has pissed a lot of people off. He's always, I mean, the thing that really pissed them off originally was he's, He's not for stopping fracking and he, and wouldn't go along with the line on that. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, he, he they knew this was coming and it, it, it was it's been used either by Malcolm Pinata, who's this black state rep from Philly, uh, who used to be friendly with Fetterman or Connor Lamb, who's a white guy from a rich part of the Pittsburgh area. So both of these guys have been running around uh, in the debates talking about how this how Fetterman did this. And the problem, I think, for them is their, their argument is that, like, we can't win. Uh, the election with a guy who did this, and mm-hmm. I, it it is not clear that the swing voter is gonna is gonna look at that, especially now. But, like there are Democrats, I think, who look at this and say, "Boy, wouldn't it be great if our candidate had like chased down a jogger with a gun? Then we would mm-hmm. we go on air and say, I support law enforcement. In fact, I've even dabbled in it, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it has not been dragging him down at all. And then um, with Lamb, just they 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 had a theory that. Uh, you could win all these like local party in- endorsements and all this all this support from from your de- democratic clubs and he is I mean I've covered him both he's like a more affable backslapping guy than Fetterman um, and it just hasn't really worked because Democrats are so scared that they think well the guy with the goatee who people think is a wrestler I think can can convince my MAGA friend uh, but the guy who's just like a Democratic congressman I don't think is going to do it. It's, it's like a very electability, panicky argument that has helped the Bernie guy, which is unexpected. It's interesting to me uh, that even though Lamb and Kenyatta, those guys have absolutely been getting blown out in polling for months now by Fetterman, that there's not been any pressure on them to drop out and stop their negative campaign against the presumptive Senate nominee in order to band together to defeat the Republican. It seems weird. That there is no institutional uh, uh, pressure being put on these guys for what I mean by the fact they're still running these negative ads trying to mm-hmm. remind people about Fetterman's incident with the shotgun after it's very clear they're not going to win. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't the party, if it was really as interested as it claims in electability and it is beating Republicans and saving democracy, wouldn't they do something? It's almost as like there's like a civil war going on in the in the party. Not so much between anything uh, ideological sides, because that was determined by the 2020 election, but rather by patriotage networks. Like the <laughs> thing with Fetterman, the reason that they're still going to like try to cut his knees out, uh, even though he's got the domination clinched at this point, is because he's not in the right circles. He doesn't pay the right people. I guess he doesn't. He is not like a flaming leftist, uh, and he his image polls well. Like he is not 
There's nothing that is that there's a poison pill about him to the, to the electorate. That's obvious. That's not something that any of them really believe. They're just trying to prevent this specific guy from getting in the Senate. And I can't understand why other than uh, he's not part of the team. Yeah, and, and it's not many people who agree with that. That Lamb has not found a lot of people willing to to join him in bringing Fetterman down. There's, the PAC didn't raise a ton. I mean, it, it raised more than a million, but but not enough to you know kill a candidate, which raised a lot more than that. And then also, uh, Politico had a pretty good story after this PAC started attacking Fetterman, where they just went around the Senate asking Democrats, and the, and they, the reaction was basically, "He should take that down. Can we not? Like, we don't need this right now." Just no attitude in. Um, in favor of let's have like a messy fight inside the family to help hurt one candidate who we think is fine and can, can win. And it's, I think a lot, a lot of it runs through this panic. Like, Oh, we thought 2020 was going to be a sweep and it wasn't. So now we're scared of the electorate. We're like, like, why, why would we do anything to screw up what is already going to be really hard? But yeah, you did not see Democrats rallying around and panicking the way they did with other Bernie candidates and saying this guy must be stopped. It just didn't happen with Betterman. Well, let's move on to the uh, Republican side. This is kind of a mirror of the Ohio uh, Republican primaries because you basically have the meme candidate versus another hedge fund guy. And that is Dr. Oz making a play to become a MAGA guy versus Dave McCormick, who is the hedge fund guy. Uh, the key issues here as of the last debate were uh, fracking. Uh, Oz was once against it for health reasons and now says frack, baby frack. In a heated debate recently, uh, Oz was complaining to the moderator, notably, about the other candidates uh, claiming multiple times, she's not following the rules. I follow the rules. Ooh. And then the moderator threatened to mute microphones uh, over that's a barrage huge, of crosshairs. That's some nerd shit, man. That's embarrassing. <laughs> that's, some, yeah. that's some real Democrat shit. But Oz got the Trump endorsement, which you pointed out, Matt, uh, must be or could partially be to blame of just tv celeb guy solidarity there is that you know he's another guy from the tv and therefore he thinks of him as trump thinks of him as more of an equal than these political insects that he has to deal with uh but i think there's also a real calculus for uh electoral success here because as i said trump wants people who like him and kiss his ass and affirm his version of reality but he also wants people who will win because he does think he feels like he uh, is lost if a guy that he nominate if he, that he endorses loses, and so he always has to create an ex post facto explanation for well why he didn't actually endorse them and they didn't mm-hmm. technically lose, but they would he would like to avoid that if possible. So he's not just picking Oz because hey you know another t- famous guy, he does have a theory for uh, the case as to why he's the best candidate, and he said it he said the Philly suburbs very important a lot of votes there. Doctor Oz has been on the televisions of Philadelphia suburban wa- housewives for 20 years that's goodwill that's been built up and that's going to make them want to vote for him and i gotta say that's that's as good a calculus for trying to figure out how to get a to win that seat as i can as i can imagine one being before the endorsement rcp polling had mccormick up 4.2 points over oz dave do you think oz can make up the difference with the I Trump so. endorsement? i'm gonna start to say that with the ohio thing i mean he doesn't need to convince half of the republicans he needs to convince like they you know 28%. I mean, this is, I won't go through every candidate in the race, but it's another one where just no one has gotten out. Uh, and, and it's complicated things. Uh, the I was at a conservative conference in Pennsylvania to cover the race and talk to some of the candidates and Oz was there. Like they did a straw poll. These are like the hardcore right-wing activists in the state. Like half the panels are about critical race theory. Um, and he lost the straw poll there. And I don't, I, this is one, it's one of those examples of, of well, yeah, straw polls is only one thing. Because the, the winner was this woman, Kathy Barnett, who's like a uh, a 
election integrity. Uh, let's just mm-hmm. use that euphemism now. <laughs> integrity activist um, who natural Republicans know nothing about. She's she won, but Oz had like real con- you know conservatives who who just seem in the room were not that impressed. But it is going to be a lot of those people who just turn out. They're MAGA guys, maybe they're suburban Republicans, and they're like, well, him sure, because this other guy Dave McCormick has spent all his money just trying to do like a Glenn Youngkin speed run, like very very quickly go in there and say, I have also have a vest. I also am very rich. Uh, I have every conservative position that, that you you guys have. Like he ran a Super Bowl ad that was just people <laughs> chanting, let's go Brandon, for example. There you go. What else do you guys want from me? And I, I, I think it was effective and this screwed it up. Like he was really trying to not <laughs> get Trump to endorse Dr. Oz. Yeah, I think Oz has like a pretty good shot. And that's why no reason Democrats think, all right, tough year, but big wrestling looking guy actually from PA versus Dr. Oz who moved back to the state to run for Senate. We think we got something there. Uh, I mean, I will say that I like this because it is a battle of uh, two different, like actual responses to the reality of uh, American politics. Now, mm -hmm. you know, like you generally only have one largely. It's usually it's a Republican because the Democrats can't face reality and keep having to vote in vote for people who deny reality. Uh, here you got a guy who he doesn't have celebrity in the traditional sense, but he goes against the images. Mm-hmm. He em- he embraces the semiotics of a Republican, and that is a response to uh, conditions. And you can see if it's effective or not. We'll find out. Uh, we will. Biden won Pennsylvania by just one point two percent. So this is going to be a very close race um, if it does come down to Fetterman and Oz. One to watch going forward. Uh, any predictions, or would you guys like to move on? I I, I'm not trying to predict anything. Yeah, that's I love not sickos. predicting. That's for real sickos. Yeah. All right. I'm normal. <laughs> well, we'll leave, we'll leave you, the listeners, with just the facts there. Let's move on uh, to one that's not maybe as contested of a state, but one that I find very interesting. Uh, Missouri, the show me state. Uh, I wanted to bring this up because the Democratic primaries just got uh, upturned by Trudy Bush Valentine. The daughter of beer baron August Goosey Bush, uh, she just entered the race recently, pushing out the other leading Dem, Scott Sifton, and then immediately had to apologize for being crowned queen of love and beauty at the Veiled Prophet Ball. Awkward. You've not been following the Veiled Prophet thing. That's the uh, the local uh, white elite uh, cotillion. Uh, There that is cloaked in, uh, you know, the mystical majesty of the uh, lost cause. Yes. Uh, Originally created to celebrate uh, as a celebration by the city's elite for uh, crushing the uh, 1977 St. Louis general strike. Yes. So Uh, Ellie Kemper from the office and uh, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, also uh, queen of love and beauty. One of those Trudy Bush Valentine enters the race, pushing out the leading, the other leading Dem candidate. The other Dem uh, still in that race is Lucas Kuntz, a democratic favorite type, which is a former Marine progressive. He's an anti-monopoly guy. He calls for a quote Marshall plan for the Midwest, which sounds cool and funny to me. Do you know anything about the, um, Missouri primaries, Dave. Uh, yeah, the that guy Lucas had a very good press team that like introduced him as as a as a path breaking candidate. But you're right, this is the kind of candidate we've seen a lot of. I mean, every Democratic midterm where there's a Republican president, uh, they they find fifty uh, like really compelling veterans who are who are have a couple of good issues. He's one of those guys. Um, but this was kind of off the map. The way Democrats see this is if Eric Greitens is a Republican nominee then they should have somebody who can win. And they thought maybe him, 
maybe Bush Valentine. I would, how would I put this? I mean, they're kind of clapping uh, for this race without really expecting it to win. You know, it's like the fourth quarter and they're down mm-hmm. by 30 and they're like, oh, you know, the team looked pretty good tonight. Bad luck. <laughs> uh, but without Greitens, they're, they're kind of going to ignore this race. If it's, you know, Vicki Hartzler, the Republican congressman who Josh Hawley's endorsed, I point her out because she's one of the, uh, the innovators in running against uh, trans- transgender people. She and is. And she had two ads about, uh, one about uh, Leah Thomas, the UPenn swimmer, and then one uh, almost inevitably about being canceled for having run that ad and not being not allowed to run it. Uh, that's what, you know, the social conservatives, uh, folks, they're back. If you thought that, that Trump winning meant that those guys were gone, no, they're very much back. And that's a state where, like, everybody who's switched over from being a conservative Democrat to Republican, they're all, they're all in for that. So um, you might have a very right-wing Republican candidate, like more right-wing than could ever have won the state, you know, in 2000 versus a Democrat who's got money and is pretty good. And it's just not going to matter. It is, it, this is going to see the, 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 how far the bounds of uh, uncancelability on the Republican party uh, are, because if Eric Greitens can get back in the Senate after what he was accused of and essentially admitted to doing, uh, it'd be pretty insane. Which was because, just to fill like, the listener he, he in. Was the raping governor, basically, yes. and he had to stop, step down because of that. And now, with only more accusations having piled up since then, he's now going to try to be a senator. What, do you think he's got a chance? If he wins the primary, I think he has a chance. I mean, Republicans just—it's uh, a good year, and they—they've learned just the base is like if you turn this into yeah. I, was, I was attacked unfairly by the same people who tried to bring Trump down. There, you, you got their attention. Uh, yeah, yeah Greitens got. I mean, he. He came in with a leap because people knew what he was. I mean, he he was one of the few candidates yeah, I saw. The raping governor. That's why they. But, you you know, that that, no <laughs> such thing as bad publicity anymore. Swear to God. Absolutely, and he's been kind of staying put or fading as other people spent the money. But I mean, he was one of the few guys who went out there and showed up at the trucker convoy. Uh, great, but, oh yeah, that made me wonder. Like, okay, you can't be that confident if you're going to a trucker convoy and saying, "I stand with you," and everyone else is busy campaigning elsewhere. He like. He needed to attach his battery to some other source of conservative power. Right. I don't think mm-hmm. he really found it. Uh, well, as of a uh, political report uh, recently, as even more uh, allegations against uh, Greitens come out, uh, his internal polling is showing him fading against Hartzler. So uh, we will see how this all comes out. Uh, you know, Bush Valentine is, is worth an estimated uh, over $250 million. So obviously can sink a lot of money into this. Uh, but, Dave seems to be uh, undervaluing the Democratic chances in uh, picking up Missouri. It's a tough one, folks. Going to kind of speed round down through uh, these. Also, a potential flip uh, Nevada, uh, where we have first-termer Catherine Cortez Mastro for re-election against former Attorney General Adam Laxalt. Laxalt? Laxalt. It's also ne- Nevada. All of his people. Is that Paul? Does he? Is he related to Paul he, Laxalt? He is uh, the illegitimate son of a different senator who was raised by Paul Laxalt. <laughs> no, really. That's, what? That's, that's his origin story. <laughs> I'm glad I asked. That's amazing. Paul Laxalt, for those who don't know, was uh, one of the first like real Reagan Republicans. Uh, he's a senator from Virginia, Nevada, and was like one of the people who ran his AD campaign. And he raised the illegitimate son of another senator who is now running for Senate. That's amazing. Uh, what What is the uh, the bastard name in Nevada? Uh, <laughs> Sam. Maybe right? a chi- no, uh, chips, I was going to go chips. Chips, chips. Yes, chips. Exactly. So uh, Adam Adam Chips now Adam Lexalt uh, <laughs> lost his uh, governor uh, his race for governor in 2018, uh, but Biden won the state by just around two percent in 2020. The question is going to be about turnout. I find this one interesting because we have lost, of course, Harry Reid, the long-term master of the 
Democratic machine in Nevada. So I guess the interesting question here is how how well that machine survives the death of its master. Yeah, I was mentioning Nevada before because it's it it is tough where there it's one look at it this way. It's I think the only state that voted uh, well to the left of the country in in you know the, the, the if you look at the presidential vote like seven points for Biden Nevada was way to the left of the country. If you look at the presidential vote in 2020, 12 years later, it's pretty far to the right of the country. I mean, Nevada has been moving far right because of all these. You know, you're you're like a working class guy. Uh, you can move there. It's cheap. Uh, there's an industry that doesn't require a bunch of degrees you can get into, and those people have just been like walking away from the Democrats. They they held on to what they had. But their 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 theory of how to win the state has been in challenge, and this is this is one of those uh, kind of a theme this year. Is like, can they hold on despite that? Because Republicans nominate very right wing candidates, and that's kind of their hope. Is that Laxalt, who's uh, I think most famous in this race for a, more than a year before the election, saying he's ready to sue for irregularities when they try to steal it from him. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's also got a primary challenger who's uh, um, a, a, v- a veteran whose face was disfigured in uh, in combat and has raised a ton of money based on that, uh, but, but uh, probably going to be the nominee. And it's really like, it's kind of like every boat's going to go the same, going to go down or none of them are. If Democrats screw out of their tailspin in Nevada, they should be fine. But that's when I remember sitting down the governor in Nevada a couple months ago, and he was one of the most open about how, yeah, Joe Biden's not really popular. Also, he's pretty old. <laughs> like, that's not a state <laughs> where they're counting on Biden to pull him out. They're like, we got to do something else here. All right, well, let's move on uh, quickly to get the rest of these in. Uh, back to Wisconsin, America's Dairyland. Got to touch on this just because we have, of course, the preeminent Wisconsinite political th- thinker on the pod, Matt Chrisman. Uh, Ron, Senator Ron Johnson is up for re-election in a site, uh, state Biden barely won. Uh, Biden's approval is now underwater there, as with everywhere else. And on the Dem side, we're looking at Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes and Alex L- Lassery, who is the son of the Milwaukee Bucks owner. So, you know, a good old uh, hometown he dynasty. He seems to me like a, 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 a mirror image of the Missouri Queen of Love and Beauty. Yes. Where it's just the, the, the failed child of a, of a, a wealthy uh, family who feels kind of guilty about it and decides to just jump into the political uh, f- uh, field because they're going to help. They're going to help out. And aren't they adorable doing so? And as I mentioned up top, uh, you know, with that news piece about the school board elections in Wisconsin, you know, maybe the GOP strategy is not as strong as it looks here. Uh, what do we think? Does Wisconsin say uh, vi- just barely blue or uh, is Ron Johnson back in this year? Uh, he's he's the favorite. Um, I mean, like Matt and Matt knows more Wisconsin than I do. But um, I mean, not, not at this point, I really don't. But <laughs> I, I've, that guy, oof. honestly, <laughs> I like him less than Joseph McCarthy in terms of like historic Wisconsin senators. Just because Joe McCarthy had like he had a feral glint in his eye, you know, he he was like going for something. He, this guy, he's just such a more, he's just a a room temperature IQ shithead. He is just the embodiment of uh, the worst Wisconsin uh, traits, except that he doesn't have type two diabetes, to my knowledge. And the fact that he beat like my childhood favorite senator Russ Feingold. Uh, and has been holding his seat ever since. And the fact that he's just going to stay there forever, it's very disheartening. I, I, my cousin is friends with his son, his, like one of his kids. And he told and he went to his wedding and everything. And he went to their house once and they literally have in their big, big hideous McMansion, a TV with Fox news on it with the volume up in every room. Uh, that's wild. I, I just can't imagine hearing the parallax stereo of, of walking from room to room, just hearing it fade out and immediately fade back in. Moving on 
uh, just to get these few in because we are going along here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to skip Alabama because the only news there is uh, Mo Brooks, you know, getting the Trump endorsement and re- getting it rescinded, which we've already gone over. It is a little interesting, though. Why did he flop so bad? Is he just a is he just a, a real obnoxious motherfucker? He, so the Trump Trump's theory is that uh, Brooks showed up at a Trump rally and started basically. It's like that that uh, kids in the hall sketch where like the the actress accepts an award and thanks Hitler by accident. He basically started <laughs> doing that, not thanking Hitler, but he went up there and said, uh, basically, look, I know twenty twenty was uh, was was he had some questions. Put it behind you. We got to win. And he just got these lusty boos for saying put it behind you. And he says or don't. But we need to win. <laughs> and so it was this very minor moment. But every time you cross Trump, every your all your opponents are like, well, my opponent uh, didn't even say that he thinks we can overturn the election still. And that kind of chipped away, but it's mostly he, he he's not good at raising money. He's a classic kind of Freedom Caucus, Tea Party congressman who just votes against spending at all times, doesn't have a lot of friends. And and he's he just had, a dumbass. Like, that's the yeah. thing. Like, the people, the ones of these guys who succeed are the ones who are, have an authentic American stupidity to them to, you know, appeal to voters, but also, you know, are to an extent playing a part, mm-hmm. you know? knowing what they're, what works and moving towards it and, and, and playing that up guys like Brooks. And I honestly think Sarah Palin's in this bucket too. We'll get to her in a second. Dumb. They're just stupid. And, and like, they're up, they're there because circumstances allowed them to be, but any attempt to like grasp the, the brass ring and do anything beyond like the first level of difficulty, uh, getting out of like tutorial mode, uh, <laughs> they just can't hack it. They can't do the things you need to do. And then even a Trump endorsement isn't enough. And then he has to take it back from you because you're just a sticky little baby and you can't do it. Yeah, that's kind of what happened. And you had uh, the, the, the senators retiring. Richard Shelby really liked his former chief of staff, uh, Katie Britt, who just like anyway, it's not that hard, honestly. I mean, I haven't done it, but it's not that hard to say to be a, a former moderate Republican or, you know, mainstream, whatever that means, uh, Republican, because mainstream is not MAGA. And then just say, I'm MAGA now. And so she's run ads about immigration, all that. And then you had a. Uh, one of the guys, the the Black Hawk Down uh, fighters, if you remember, yes, remember that Mark Durant. real thing and the movie, um, Mike Durant got in uh, and just has a bunch of money. So you're watching Brooks kind of suck wind as two people with a lot of money and charisma, uh, you know, gained. And Trump just said, "Yeah, enough of this guy." Uh, let's move on to Arizona, the last Senate contest that we're going to highlight here. Uh, astronaut Mark Kelly is up. Biden's approval rating obviously plummeting as it is as everywhere. But Kelly is seen as more of a moderate, uh, more palatable to the Arizonans and certainly probably drafting a bit from being the normal one uh, standing next to Kirsten Cinema. Republicans are duking it out in a primary featuring Attorney General Brnovich, uh, venture capital exec Blake Masters and solar energy company owner Jim Lehman. Uh, like most other GOP primaries, all three of these guys are now in a race to jack off Trump the hardest, including Brnovich, uh, notably flip-flopping, first denying election fraud and now saying there are, quote, questions about the election. Do we think Kelly has a chance to hold on in Arizona? Uh, of the Democrats we mentioned, probably the best chance because, uh, uh, you know, Blake Masters is another very online guy, online guy, but he doesn't have uh, Ron Howard making a movie about his life. He just is a you know, one of these... Peter Thiel acolytes who went to work for him and made a lot of money um, and just does video ads where he, he really, I mean, conservative uh, operatives love him. I mean, he just says what they think, which is like, oh, the country's being run by psychopaths. You know, the, this transgender stuff's out of control, but it, it's not really, he doesn't really have a normative message. It's just that I'm saying the conservative things and then Br- Brnovich not raising any money. Masters also not raise much money. So look, 
Democrats dropped a lot of races in 20 where they had a ton of money. I mean, what's his name? Jimmy Harrison. They let him lead the party after this. Uh, but this is one where Kelly is probably going to keep trying to distinguish what he does from Biden and take advantage of opponents being kind of weak. So I think he has the, the, the fundamentals to do way better than other Democrats, despite how red Arizona can be. Like, you know, either random Peter Thiel guy or mediocre attorney general, like, Guys like that can win, but he's it's 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 more of a mismatch in some of these other places. Uh, well, let's move on in the left last few minutes we have to uh, some fun ones. Uh, Alaska, the last frontier. Notable story here: Sarah Palin is back in the news, uh, running for the state representative uh, position. I believe there's only one state. Yeah, just the one. R.I.P. Don Young. Is this notable, or is Palin still a sideshow? It's notable. I need to stop myself because the, the the Arizona ballot systems new and complicated but basically there's one big primary ballot with every candidate the top four candidates go to a november ballot and then when voters get that ballot in november they they rank them one to four until somebody has 50 percent. so it's incredibly complicated the idea is like well this is a big state we have a lot of you know independents third parties actually do pretty good there we're going to make it open it up so that maybe somebody can can crack through actually not you know this usually ends up locking the two parties in place but whatever she's going to run that system and any Republican, uh, even as pop- unpopular as she has been in Alaska, pretty good chance in that system. But I'd say like generic Republican Steve would probably be a 100% sure thing bet to win. And she's got, you know, people didn't like that she just quit to become a celebrity like 10 minutes after after the president. <laughs> like that really did eat, eat away at people um, in a way that everyone forgot it outside, as they call the rest of America. Uh, but in in Alaska, it was like, yeah, that lady who quit went on Fox a lot. I mean, she's not been that popular. I will use this excuse to mention my one interaction with the Palin family back in a thousand previous lives when I used to work in a uh, for a TV network in their reality television development division. I once had to uh, serve uh, Levi Palin as he was pitching a uh, reality show to them. And the main thing I re- remember about interacting with Levi Palin is could not form a sentence and was wearing the most complicated jeans I had ever seen a person wear. <laughs> The complicated jeans? Yes. You know, the kind of He never that- took the family name. He was always, he, to my knowledge. That would have oh, been yes. funny if he had, though. All right. Moving on to my last little bit here. Uh, under a headline that I have as More Trouble in MAGA Land, uh, both Marjorie Taylor Greene and Madison Cawthorn are now facing primary challenges. And I will quote from one Dave Weigel in the Washington Post, reporting on this in the trailer. Uh, this is a quote from Jennifer Strahan, a healthcare consultant challenging rep Marjorie Taylor Greene. Quote, if people are so busy critiquing everything you say and not willing to actually hear you because you don't have a message that resonates, then it's distracting from really bringing results back to the district. The main point here seemed to be that there is a minor backlash to these guys just being super online and yelling on uh, Twitter or TikTok or whatever they, wherever they are, a small but genuine dissatisfaction with just being the kind of celebrity representative. Do we think that these uh, challenges to these uh, you know notable uh, MAGA representatives will go anywhere? Uh, they're, they're big long shots. The Cawthorn one is a little more serious because you've got, uh, they're both serious. They're both serious people challenging them. But y- you have a very funny situation where Cawthorn announced he was going to move to a safer seat. Uh, and then they redrew the map so that seat didn't exist. So he moved back to his old seat uh, <laughs> and literally had a fundraiser scheduled called Welcome Home Madison that they canceled because they realized that sounded bad. <laughs> um, but, uh, and also he's just a guy. He's like, he's 27 at this point, but he, he just was a, a politics guy who wanted to be powerful. And now he is, whereas, you know, green, I think just, uh, is 
she represents a, a, a MAGA constituency that I think is, is pretty powerful is the, is the, is the yoga. Well, we've mentioned yoga a lot is the, is the, the CrossFit uh, woman who you know, made it on her, I think made it on her own as a business, all that stuff. Like she uh, is less relevant in Congress than Cawthorn, but I has made in that district, I think fewer enemies, but both of them, are right in line with the Trump style of politics is if you want to piss off liberals because they drive you crazy, look, look how good I am at it. I mean, that's why I think Cawthorn might just be so incompetent that Republicans can be convinced to vote some for somebody else because they're not running as vote for them. And I will uh, vote for me instead of Cawthorn or, or, or green. And I will, you know, team up with Mitt Romney. They're all running as MAGA conservatives. And they're just like, wouldn't it be great if we had a MAGA person who was not, ineffective getting made fun of all the time. So like, do they convince people actually when they're getting made fun of it's bad? Cause that's not where they're at right now. No, they like it. I think that's going to be tough. Mm -hmm. Speaking of getting made fun of and pissing off liberals. uh, Let's move to my last item here, which is the Dem opponent for Lauren Boebert. This is Alex Walker who uh, made waves on Twitter last week uh, for posting a, intentionally obnoxious TikToks, basically uh, calling leftists whiny, entitled bitches for not getting on board with the uh, platform of suck it up and believe in nothing. I love when people are like, you have a moderate policy, you lost my vote. Oh, what vote was that? Was that the vote you were going to give to some Bernie wannabe whose overkill policies are unpopular with 75% of voters just so you could feel good about yourself until they lose the general election, at which point you'll point your finger and blame someone else? That vote? Oh, honey, your vote got lost a long time ago. Democrats need to wake up. Jesus, in order to legislate, we have to win. Go to walkerforcolorado.com and stop complaining. Uh, Dave, you recently wrote about Alex Walker. Uh, what, is, what is your take on this strategy? Yeah, I teamed up with uh, Taylor Lorenz, who did the interview with him. We, we were both uh, both on that beat of the... Uh, per, this is a new-ish thing. Like, the last six years, you can run as the make people angry candidate and raise millions of dollars and not win. I mean, like conservatives did this forever that have direct mail firms that just like mm-hmm. spammed your grandpa and grandma's mailboxes and said, this is the candidate who can, who can fight the, the liberal fascists. Uh, same thing with online money. Uh, but that these are happening in races where the, 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 the party in November is just given up. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Democrats aren't competing there. They're not competing against Cawthorn. Their only hope is in the primary. Somebody beats them. So these guys are just vacuuming money for, for no reason. And you can tell there's some uh, annoyance among, I could say, elite liberals on this. I mean, Crooked Media had this whole Ditch Mitch campaign in 2020, like a, a, a site where you give money and you split it between other candidates, in part because they didn't want people to just keep giving to Amy McGrath to like <laughs> set money on fire for a race they couldn't win. So these guys are going to, I think, suck up millions of dollars and not win is, is, is their story. That's different than the primary challenger to Cawthorn, this guy Chuck Edwards, like, could maybe get into runoff and maybe beat him, but no Democrat's going to beat him. Matt, I almost hesitate to throw the, this question to you just because I don't want to, uh, you know, give this guy air for the us dastardly Bernard brothers, uh, you know, making fun of him. But do you have a take on the uh, liberal attempt at the pissing people off via the internet uh, scheme? As Dave said, it's very effective at making money. It's it's mm-hmm. can't necessarily win you an election. Although, as I say, uh, it it really does show the the radical asymmetry really in in. Uh, the two parties and their relation, their dynamic relationship to their base and how it reflect how, how that relates to the electoral prospects. J.D. Vance can needle liberals until he, 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 uh, you know, amuses the Trump family enough to win a primary for a toss up Senate seat that will then go probably towards the Republican 
because of the year it is. Uh, this guy can probably make a bunch of money and maybe get a nomination where there is no uh, chance of the Democrat winning. That's the only place where that kind of uh, approach can get any uh, traction is where the party itself isn't just like squatting over uh, the, the electoral territory, which is true of anywhere that's remotely uh, for, for grabs. So it, it, all they can ever do is just, uh, is just suck, suck money and attention and he's doing it and God bless him. He'll probably do it forever. He'll never <laughs> stop. I hope he never stops. I hope he continues doing uh, TikToks. I hope he starts doing cameos. I hope he starts OnlyFans. I love him. Well, that brings me to the end of my outline. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for your insights. I guess I will just flip it to you guys. Any final thoughts about the uh, the state of these elections? Uh, any races I might have missed covering? Uh, anything that you want to touch on before we sign off? I'd say it's the most important election of our lifetime. Uh, I, wouldn't <laughs> say that. I wouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean... Uh, you you laid it out pretty well. I'd say like uh, find out what district you live in because that's weird now. That's going to be new, and just there's going to be a bunch of stuff that uh, pops on the map because people are so angry. So uh, don't look at any outcome as crazy. Uh, you know, I think if people six months ago were like JD Vance, uh-huh. yeah, don't don't be like we that. were doing that. Andy, now we're on. <laughs> don't don't do that. Be ready. For, be ready for insanity because we're gonna get some. Uh, anything from you, Matt? To the, to the to the polls. Let's Pokemon Go to those <laughs> polls, folks. It's it's very important. It, it it might not be important, but in certain countries you can bet on it, so it's still fun. Well, that will include the first installment of the Beltway Phoenix. Uh, hopefully, once we get a little further and these uh, elections go from the primaries to the generals, maybe we will reconvene this this panel to discuss what's what the uh, situation is looking up closer towards November. Uh, but until then, I do have one plug that I'm just going to get in real quick. Uh, maybe you've seen from online if you follow these things, but Chapo Trap House is playing a music festival this summer. Uh, that's right. We are reteaming with our friends from the Frequency Festival to the actual IRL festival they put on every year outside of Portland. It is called Pickathon. Uh, we will be playing on August 6th at the Pickathon Music Festival. You can go to pickathon.com to pick up tickets there. Uh, a lot of great bands playing there. I mean, Built to Spill, come on. I hope they play Dystopian uh, Dream Girl at that show. Uh, Gorilla Toss will be there. Love them. A bunch of other great acts. And you'll get to see us in a fun outdoor setting. I've been told that Pickathon is one of the best festivals in the country. And as a fest head myself, I'm very excited to be going there. I know, Matt, you are very excited to be playing a festival as well. Absolutely. I want to soak in those vibes. Uh, great. So that is August 6th at the Pickathon Music Festival. That's pickathon.com to pick up your tickets. We will also be doing a frequency live stream of the set, which we will have information on how you can buy tickets to just watch online. Uh, do your own little couch cella uh, if you want to watch our set there. We'll have more information about that coming up. Uh, Dave, of course, you are in Washington Post. You have the trailer. Anything specifically you would like to plug? Uh, no, we have we have a relaxing the paywall uh sometimes if you hate paywalls uh come to us because there are pretty good odds that we're going to have it down that day you can read all of our politics content uh i will also take this chance to uh plug dave's great book on progressive rock the show that never ends we've covered it on introducing a good read if you like reading about the uh the history of prog rock which uh i do as well so uh buy that too i know you're way out of book cycle but uh <laughs> take, take a look at that until then uh, thanks for listening. Keep your eyes on the polls. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.